Well, good morning. I'd just like to say, I don't guess we need the guys anymore. <laughs> Sounds a lot better, just kidding. But it's good to see you here this morning, and uh, we want to welcome you here, especially if you're visiting with us today at this time of the service. We would encourage you, if you would, take a minute to fill out one of the welcome cards in front of you in the pew pocket, or you can fill out the care card that's in your bulletin. We would love to have a record of your visit if you're visiting with us, and uh, encourage you also, before you leave, please stop by our welcome desk in the vestibule. We have a gift we'd love to put into your hands. Uh, just a reminder also, if you've been visiting for a while, or maybe you may have been visiting for years, and you'd be interested in taking class 101, considering membership here at the church. You don't have to join after you take the class, but you, if you would like to know more about the church, please fill out that card and drop that in the offering plate. We would love to know who's interested in taking that class. But right now, I'm going to ask you to stand, and as you're standing, you all go ahead and stand. <laughs> you know, as we just listened to that song, uh, that's a song I sang growing up here many, many times. One of the verses says this, says, let us then be true and faithful, trusting, serving every day. Just one glimpse of him in glory will the toils of life repay. In other words, when we see him, we'll realize it's all worth it. It's all worth it. So let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer as we begin our service. Father, we thank you so much for all that you have done for us. And Lord, we know that one day when we see you, it will all be worth it. Lord, we'll be reminded of your great love for us, the sacrifice that was paid for us. And Lord, today as we gather to worship, it's an opportunity to say thank you and to praise you and worship you. So Lord, as we go into this time of worship, may it be from our hearts. May you take pleasure in what you hear, what you see. Lord, we do everything here for your honor and for your glory to build your kingdom and to point people to you. May you be honored today in this service. And for those who do not know you, I pray that you may convict their heart. May they see their great need for you and for a Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So this morning we're not going to shake hands. We're not going to pass the peace because we'll pass germs. So uh, wave at your neighbor as we get ready to worship.
This choir looks a lot better than the men's choir did, doesn't it? What a blessing. Aren't you thankful that the, the God we're singing about, that's unchangeable, unshakable, that we can approach? Aren't you thankful for that, that we can go to God in prayer and bring our petitions and our requests and our intercessions before him? And this is a time in our service that we set aside that you can come as a family, you can come uh, as a husband and wife, uh, you can come as an individual, and you may want to lift up yourself to the Lord in prayer, or you may have somebody else you want to mention in prayer. But right now, as this choir leads us, I'm going to ask you to meet me here at this altar, and then Justin will lead us in this time of prayer. come to you this morning just so grateful for this opportunity that we have to meet in this place um, Lord this altar is filled with with people who are uh, in need of you Lord this whole place is filled with people that are in need of you and um, Lord, we we don't know the prayers that are going up but Lord we are comforted by the fact that we know that you hear each one individually Lord and collectively and um, Lord we just ask that you would uh, take each prayer request Lord that uh, has been brought to you this morning Lord and Lord that you would uh, handle each situation accordingly, Lord, that, um, Lord, it would bring you the most glory the way that you handle each one. And, Lord, help us to be uh, content with those answers, God, because sometimes those answers are yes, and sometimes they're no, and sometimes the hardest one is to wait. And, uh, Lord, help us to find comfort, Lord, uh, in your answers, and, Lord, also help us to be content um, with those answers, Lord. And as we continue on with this service, God, we just ask that you would um, continue to be here with us, and, Lord, we ask that you would um, be with Jamie as he brings us the message this morning, Lord, and may you uh, bring uh, to his mind, Lord, things that he's studied and that he's learned, and Lord, help him to, to recall, and Lord, if there's something that's new that you bring to him, Lord, through the Spirit this morning, we ask that you would uh, also allow him to speak those words to us, and Lord, it may be a sermon that, um, Lord, that would comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable this morning, and um, Lord, as we uh, continue in worship, Lord, through song, Lord, and through uh, the act of giving, through tithes, Lord, we just ask that you would uh, take each, each uh, element, Lord, of worship that we bring to you, and you would, um, Lord, multiply it, Lord, and you would, um, Lord, just use it for your kingdom and your glory, Lord. And um, again, we just ask that you would um, be with all these requests that are being lifted, God, and Lord, that you would work in each situation that bring you the most glory and help us to be content always in the answers that you give us, Lord. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thompson, you may be seated.
thank you, ladies. Let's give the Lord another hand clap. Praise. That was a blessing. As, uh, as they're going down to find their seats, just want to mention a couple of things. Uh, the new members class that we're going to have will probably be April the 7th. So if you're interested in church membership, as Kevin said, that doesn't mean you have to join the church. It is a requirement if you decide to join the church. Sometimes people take the new members class and wait a year or two before they join, and some people don't join. Probably about 75 to 80% of the people that take the class will eventually join. But in the class, we tell you what we believe, which is the most important thing when you come to a church. We give you a tour of the church, and we tell you how to join. And then we set up a Sunday where you join, okay? And we try to make it as uh, easy on you as possible. Our two requirements to join East Hills Baptist Church is you have to be a born-again Christian, and uh, we don't give you a quiz. If you tell us you're saved, we're going to go on your testimony. And you have to be, since your salvation, baptized by immersion. Uh, that's our mode of baptism here, and that's what the mode of baptism in the Bible, so that's why we do that. Uh, but those are the two things that are very important. So if you have not filled out a card, you can take your care card and your bulletin, just fill it out. And all you got to do is put your name and check Class 101. And that will help us know when to have the class and how many people to prepare for. So just want to mention that. Also, I'd like to mention this, as the people are still finding their seats, is uh, on Wednesday nights we're doing a study called uh, the Overcomer. And the title of the message this morning is The Overcomer. It's two different thoughts, but David Jeremiah is doing this study. It is wonderful. We start at 7 p.m. in Steve Lackey's uh, Sunday School classroom, so I'd encourage you to be there for that. With that said, if you'll stand with me and turn to Revelation chapter 21. Last week we looked at verses 2 through 4. Today, a very uh, exciting and somber passage. We're going to look at three people, all right? The first one is the omnipotent one where God speaks. It's amazing how God and Jesus say the same thing about themselves when it comes to their attributes, showing that we have God the Father and God the Son. Then we look at the overcomer. And then the last person we look at is the outcast. And I made this individual. Because every person here looking at me right now, you're an overcomer right now, or you're an outcast. And, and at the end of this service, or even before the end of the service, you're going to make a choice. Are you going to be an overcomer? Or are you going to be an outcast? Notice what the Bible says. Verse 5, Then he sat, Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And we talked about that last week. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I'm the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the waters of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part, the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we want to thank you for your word. Father, I pray today that we'd all leave here today overcomers. Father, I pray if there are any outcasts here right now, that, Lord, through the Holy Spirit and through your word, that, Father, they'll come to repentance and faith in Christ. Father, I pray that you'd give sight to the spiritually blind and raise the spiritually dead for your honor and for your glory. Lord, only you know whose souls are in the balance. But Father, this is a very uh, somber passage for many. Fathers, we've just looked at the glories of heaven. It's amazing how God, God, you gave John this picture of two different people. Some will overcome and inherit all things and will be called your son, and others will not. They'll spend eternity, according to your word, in a place called the lake of fire, which is the second death. And Father, I pray that no one would reject Jesus today. I pray that no one would say no to the gospel today. Father, it is the good news. It's the only hope we have. 
And Father, I pray that you would speak to hearts and minds. And Father, I pray that you would change lives for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray and all of God's children said together, Amen. So as we look at these three persons, the first one is God Himself, the Omnipotent One. Notice verses 5 and 6. The Bible says, Then He who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. I like how one commentator put it. He said, What God creates in the new heaven and new earth will surpass anything which man has imagined. Paul kind of spoke to this to the church at Corinth when he says, But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor hath entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. The old creation and the old way of life is gone forever at this point. It's kind of like your salvation. Paul, Paul likened the recreation of the heavens and the earth to the recreation of your life. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul writes to the church at Corinth and says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. But notice what else God says. He says this. Then he says, Behold, I make all things new. And then he says, Write these, for these words are true and faithful. It's like God says, I'm saying it. I cannot lie. I'm delivering you the everlasting truth. Write it down. What I say is going to happen. You can count on my promises because they are faithful and true. This is all over the book of Revelation. If you'll notice just one page over in Revelation 22, 6, the Bible says, Then he said to me, These words are faithful and true. In Revelation 19, 9, the same thing. Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God all over the Bible. God says, This is true. Psalm 119 says this about God's word. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. First Peter, Peter said this, The word of God lives and abides forever. So on the outset of talking about heaven and the eternal state, God says, you can write it down. This is faithful and true. Anybody who denies that, they're a liar. And then in verse 6, he says this, It is done. It could be rendered, these things are finished. It's when God created the world in Genesis 2, the Bible says this, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. On the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work which he had done. Notice he says it is finished. When Jesus was dying on the cross, purchasing our redemption, he said this, it is finished. And in the same way, when the new heavens and the new earth come, God says it is finished or it is done. The perfect active tense of that verb, it is done, means that these things have come to pass and the results will continue in the future. And if you're wondering if God can do that, notice what else he says about himself. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega. The A to Z in the Greek alphabet. The first and the last. He's saying, I am the sovereign one. Notice the words, I am. There's great emphasis placed upon the one who is speaking and his uniqueness. Anytime in the Bible, when you see the phrase said by God or Jesus, I am, it's speaking of God. Remember when Moses was at the burning bush? And God says, go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. And Moses started making excuses. I can't talk. I can't do that. Well, who am I going to tell him sent me? And God says, you tell him I am that I am sent you. I am that I am. When the Jews came to Jesus and they were talking about, you're not the Messiah, and Jesus says, I am. They said, we're of our father Abraham. And Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. He said, Abraham longed to see my day and he saw it. That was so blasphemous to the Jews, they picked up stones to kill him. When, when they come, when Judas brought the temple guard to come to arrest Jesus in the garden, they said this, Jesus of Nazareth, and he said to them, I am. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them 
Then when he said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground, every one of them, because they knew they were in the presence of Almighty God. He not only says, I am, but he says this, I am Alpha and Omega. What's unique about this phrase is this unique title of God is applied both to the Father here and to the Son. It is also applied to Jesus in Revelation 1, 11 and Revelation 2 and 8. He is saying we are the first and the last. A.W. Tozer said this about God. He says, God is saying nothing was before me and nothing is beyond me. He says, God cannot learn anything. He never at any time or in any manner received into his mind knowledge that he did not possess and had not possessed from eternity. Because God knows all things perfectly, he, he knows no one thing better than the other thing, but all things equally well. He never discovers anything. He is never surprised, nor is he ever amazed. He is the Alpha and Omega. When he says, I am the Alpha, what God is saying and Jesus is saying, the Trinity is saying, that I am the absolute beginning. There's nothing before me. Nothing calls me to be. I simply am. God did not emerge. He's just there from eternity. It's hard to comprehend. He had no beginning. It staggers the mind. He's infinite, eternal, and changeless. One Christian scientist said this, I can't urge you too often to meditate on the staggering truth that God is the absolute alpha. Find some serene moment of your life and let the truth take hold of you that God is the first. He's the beginning. Before him there was nothing. There was no before him. Just think of it. For millions and billions and trillions of unending years, God existed and never had a beginning. He is the beginning. From everlasting to everlasting, He is God. There never was a time when He was not. God did not emerge out of many possibilities. Everything emerged out of Him. The psalmist says this, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you formed them, the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He's the Alpha. It was God and then everything else. Not only that, but He's the Omega. What does it mean that God is the end? He's the end of everybody. I'll go to a scholar. He says this, God is a never-ending omega for every man or woman, either as a fountain of eternal life or a wine press of wrath and a lake of fire. We need to remind ourselves again and again that our lives will end in God. He may seem distant now, but Paul said that the scoffers in Athens, he is not far from each of us. He is never out of reach for the thirsty, and even though he may seem far away, he says, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the fountain of eternal life, for one, or the lake of fire for the other. Life in this world, this person said, is utterly serious because of what you make of God here will determine how you meet Him in the end. I pray that will God give us the eyes to see the staggering alternatives at the brink of eternity. So God says this, I am the omnipotent one. I am the Alpha and Omega. And you must place your faith and trust in me. And if you do that, God says, you become an overcomer. So notice the overcomer. Notice verse 7. He says this, He who overcomes shall inherit all things. I will be his God and he shall be my son. Notice the word overcomes. This does not distinguish between victorious Christians and those who lag behind. You're a, if you're a Christian, you are an overcomer. This, this word means this. The overcomer is actually a genuine believer who has exercised saving faith in Jesus and they continue in this belief until they die. Jesus said, He who overcomes to the end will be saved. John put it this way, For whatever is born of God, which literally means begotten or born again, overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith. Our faith in what? Our faith in the person of the resurrected Jesus Christ. Jesus, the biblical Jesus. Your faith in Him will determine where you spend eternity. 
I shared this uh, last Sunday night in a message called Almost Saved. Don't mess with Jesus. You can argue over music, versions of the Bible, the end times, but there's no argument when it comes to Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. The disciples, after he resurrected, said there's salvation in no other name, no other name than Jesus Christ. This word overcomer here means I have, my faith is in Jesus. The night I got saved, my faith was in Jesus. And the night I die or Jesus Christ comes back, my faith will be in Jesus. In the biblical Jesus. God's Son, who bore my sin on the cross, who rose from the dead, is your faith in Jesus. So many in the Bible, in the New Testament, started out as overcomers, but their faith in Jesus waned. And Paul said this, their faith has been shipwrecked. We looked at it last week in Hebrews. And you can turn there if you want to. You don't have to. But Hebrews 2 says this. It says, Therefore, we must give more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest we drift away. Drift away from what? That word therefore goes back to chapter 1, where he talked about Jesus being exalted over the angels. He said, Jesus is God. Jesus purged our sins. Jesus is, is the Messiah in flesh. And you cannot leave Jesus. These these Hebrew Christians were tempted to leave Jesus and go back to Judaism. And, and the writer of Hebrews says, don't leave Jesus. See, overcoming faith is this. The faith that saves is a faith that also transforms. And, and that transformation of life and that transformation of character is what enables believers to continue to follow Christ no matter the cost of doing so. And in the face of very power, powerful incentives to forsake him, the overcomer overcomes Satan's efforts to draw him away from Christ. The overcomer perseveres in his battle against his own sin and perseveres in that battle against sin to the end of his life. The overcomer never quits. The overcomer never gives up. The overcomer never gives in. Most importantly, the overcomer never changes sides. He started with Jesus. He ends with Jesus. The writer of Hebrews says this, Therefore we must give more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. What did they hear? They heard the gospel. That Jesus Christ is the only way. And they surrendered their life to that. They left Judaism. They left any other religion that there was and said, We're following Jesus. He is the only way. And then the writer of Hebrews says this, Don't drift from that. Don't you drift. Give heed to what you have heard. That word in the Greek is attention. It comes from the, the, the Greek word. It means to tension something. If they brought a boat into the dock, they would tension it to keep the boat there. And he says, what you can do is this. In your mind, over time, you can drift from that. Notice this picture on the screen. I showed it last Sunday night. And if you're here Sunday night, you can't answer. But what's the most dangerous thing in that picture? Anybody? Is it a great white? That's a great white. You know it's not. Actually, the current is the most dangerous thing in that picture. Now, I've been to the beach, and I've seen sharks up close. Okay, they ran the other way. No, I'm just kidding. We all got out of the water. I shared that the other Sunday night. I'm going to show you here. But think about this. That word in the Hebrew for drift is a nautical term. It shows what happened when the rope to the dock breaks. It literally means to flow past. It means to really to move almost unnoticed. Now, when I go to the beach, I boogie board, all right? Because I'm a man, and I get in the water. And I boogie board. And what I'll notice sometimes is like I'll start out right here. And within 30 minutes to an hour, I'm all the way down here. I didn't even realize it. I'll tell my kids, where's our, where's our family? And they're like, Dad, they're all the way up there. You know? What you've done is you've really unknowingly, you've just drifted, 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 drifted. You know, that, that's funny when it deals with the beach. 
But it's really not funny when it comes to Jesus. Drifting. You know what I see in America today? In Alexander County, churches that are drifting from Jesus. Oh, I'll tell you what. I'd rescue my family if they were in those churches. Friends, you cannot change Jesus and be saved. You cannot do it. Paul says, if anyone confesses with his mouth Jesus as Lord and believes in his heart God is raising from the dead, you will be saved. You cannot change that and be, a, and be a believer. The Hebrew Christians were tempted to change it. And, Jesus, and God himself says, if you overcome, if you don't drift, then you'll be saved. Listen, truth never changes. Paul told Timothy, he says this, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart, drift, from the faith. Faith in what? Faith in Jesus. And they'll give heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. That word that giving heed means to devote oneself to, to attach oneself to, to cling to, to tension to. Now the writer of Hebrews says you better tension to what you heard about Jesus. And then what Paul says, Timothy, some people are going to tension away from that. They're going to give heed to doctrines of demons. They're going to leave the faith. See, deceived people are convinced people. Eve in the garden was convinced. She wasn't tricked. Satan didn't trick her. He convinced her. When you saw the terrorists on 9-11, they, weren't, they were convinced they were right, even though they're wrong. Deceived people are convinced people. Paul goes on to tell Timothy, he says this. This is so important, Timothy. He says, I'm going to tell you how to write, run the church. He says, as I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge. That's a military term. That you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine than what you've heard. The overcomers teach the doctrine of Jesus. He says, don't deal lightly with Jesus. Don't deal lightly with error. It must be dealt with immediately and firmly because those who continue to believe in Jesus overcome. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, Numbers of easy-minded people wink at error so long as it is committed by a clever man and a good-natured brother who has so many fine points about him. Let each believer judge for himself, but for our part, Spurgeon speaking for his church, he says, We have put on a few fresh bolts to our door and we have given orders to keep the chain up and not let that guy in. Why? You can't preach and teach error. Paul said, or John said this, the Lord says this, He who overcomes shall inherit all things. What are you overcoming? You, you, you started out believing in Jesus for your salvation. You believe it now. And when Jesus comes back or you die, you still believe in it. The Jesus of the Bible, not the cultural man-made Jesus who is nothing more than a moral teacher or a good-natured person. That is blasphemy from the pit of hell. And it's so sad to see people getting caught up in that. Paul goes on to tell Timothy, he says, This charge I commit to you, son, Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected. They've drifted. Concerning what? The faith. They have suffered shipwreck. Now, I've never seen a good shipwreck of you. And Paul names them. He says, Hymenius and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. He said, they, their faith, they started out believing in Jesus, and now they don't. Their faith has been shipwrecked. And I'll tell you, I've never seen a good shipwreck. I love Billy Graham. I mean, I just love him. When I, I remember when I first got saved, I kind of knew Billy Graham, but I didn't know him. And I remember for some reason, I, I think it was about a week or two after I got saved, Billy Graham was speaking. 
And I'm sitting there just mesmerized listening to this man preach. Thousands of people. When they give the invitation, I mean, thousands of people were coming down. And I asked my mom, I said, what are they doing? And she says, you know what happened to you the other night? I said, yeah. She said, all those people are getting saved. And I was like, I just wept. I said, are you kidding? And she said, I said, this is amazing. So I, I bought every book Billy Graham ever wrote. I, I still got most of them. Listened to him preach. But you know, if you study the life of Billy Graham, he started out with Youth for Christ, but there was another person who was a lot better preacher. I mean, Charles Templeton at that time was the evangelist in, in North America. They said Charles Templeton was such a great preacher. Many predicted it would be him and not Graham who would become the biggest evangelical preacher in history. They said whenever he went to, when he went to Evansville, Indiana, this is Charles Templeton, the National Association of Evangelicals uh, gave really a journal of his meeting that week, or the, in those two weeks, and they said they averaged 150 converts a night. The total attendance over the two-week campaign was 91,000 out of a population of 128,000. Church attendance in Evansville, Indiana went up 17% after he left. Charles Templeton could preach. Do you know what he did? Charles Templeton started reading. He read Thomas Paine's The Age of Reason. I just burned that book. Voltaire, some of these guys who denied the faith, started reading Darwin. Okay. Went, went, to, a, went to a school, a very liberal Christian school that denied the Bible. And ultimately, you know what he said they denied? Jesus. And he said when they convinced him that Jesus was not the Son of God, he knew he was a historical figure, there's no doubt. But he convinced him that he didn't rise from the dead, that he didn't bear God's wrath on the cross for us. Charles Templeton left the faith. He told Billy Graham to do it as well. He said, Billy, this is just a bunch of make-believe. Why don't you stop what you're doing and come with me? He, he wrote a book called Farewell to God, The Reasons I Left Christianity. I think the act of God he wrote in the 70s was the bestseller in Canada and maybe in America. And he really prompted many people to try to leave their faith. You know what happened to Charles Templeton? He died with Alzheimer's, still denying the sovereignty, the sufficiency, and the grace of Jesus Christ in his life. Billy Graham said, well, last time I went in there, we both just wept. And he said, he said, we're just two different men. Isn't that something? So are you an overcomer? Is your faith in Jesus? Is your faith in Jesus? If your faith is not in Jesus, it doesn't matter if you're a member of this church. It doesn't matter if you've been baptized. I'm not talking about are you the most moral person in the world. That's going to go up and down as a Christian. Amen? Is your faith in Jesus? I'm talking about Jesus. I'm talking about the Jesus of the Bible that you've heard preached here if you were little since you've been here. Okay? My faith is more rock solid in Jesus now than it ever has been. If I die tonight at my funeral, say this, he's in heaven because of Jesus and his faith never wavered in Jesus. And friends, if you want to argue about Calvinism and Arminianism, we can do that. If you want to argue about uh, Moses' uh, versions of the Bible, we can argue about that. If you want to argue about Christian science with evolution or not evolution, young earth, earth all we can, we're not arguing about Jesus here because Jesus is who he is. That'll never change. The overcomer has faith in Jesus. When John left the Isle of Patmos and wrote 1 John, he said this, what is, what is overcoming our faith? You see, John was on the Isle of Patmos because of his faith in Jesus. They tried to kill him on the Isle of Patmos. They said, John, you can leave the Isle of Patmos if you'll deny Jesus. And John said, no. They say that before John died, they would carry him into the church of Ephesus because he couldn't walk. And he said, just let me be with God's people. And his faith was still in Jesus. So are you an overcomer? Verse 7, I'll read it again. 
He says this, He who overcomes shall inherit all things. I will be his God and he shall be my son. The only people who get to experience heaven, the new earth, and the new heavens are those who overcome. And that overcoming is your faith in Jesus remains steadfast. Charles Templeton died lost. And he's in this next group. In verse 8, the outcast, notice what God says. These are his words, not mine. He says, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Listen to this commentary. The believer inherits all that is good, verse 7, and glorious. And the unbeliever inherits all that is painful and horrifying. While the believer is promised an inheritance that will never again include sorrow or mourning or crying or pain, verse 4, the unbeliever will go to a place where crying, pain, and sorrow, guilt, and sin will never cease. Notice the word, the distinction. The word in verse 8, the very first word, but. Everything from verse 1 to verse 7 is glorious. Then there's that little conjunction, but. But the following will not get in. Who? The cowardly. The person who did not overcome. The person who had opportunity to stand for Jesus, but they would not. The person who, who accepts the claims of Christ to a point, but they will not go publicly with it. You know, back in those days, the big thing in Jesus' day was baptism. It was baptism. See, you could confess to know Jesus and still keep it to yourself, but what Jesus said is, everyone who names the name of me, I want you to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, Peter preached. On the day of Pentecost, to a bunch of Jews. And they said, what must we do to be saved? He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and then be baptized. And on that day... Thousands of people publicly were baptized saying, I do no longer believe in Judaism. I believe in Jesus. That's amazing. You know in India they take a vow of death. They, they take people out in the woods and baptize them in a five-gallon barrel because they'll kill them in the cities. When David Nasser uh, spoke here at the high school when I had him in, he, they, they fled Iran during the revolution. His dad was a hardcore Muslim. David Nasser started going to a Baptist church. David Nasser got saved. And his dad said, I just thought it was like tennis. It's a fad. He'll, he'll be done with it. He was 18 when he got saved. I think he was about 20. He says, Dad, I'm getting baptized. His dad says, if you get in that water, you'll never come back to this house again. Ever. Because he understood. He was saying, I'm doing away with being a Muslim. It's wrong. I'm following Jesus. And David Nasser said, that day I left my father. I left him. I had to. He kicked me out of the house because I was baptized. The cowardly say, nope. I'm amazed at the number of men my age. The number of men my age. If you're in the woods, you probably got a gun if you're smart. If a bear tried to attack you or your family, you wouldn't be scared. But you're scared of that water up there. Isn't that something? That just amazes me. We'll have grown men that God commands to be baptized. Underwater is a picture of the death the night I was baptized at Millsville Baptist Church, that Jamie Steele's dead. I'm following Jesus. I'm going to have ups and downs like all of us. But I'm dead. No other religion is right. Christianity is the only one that's right. I've been buried. I've been resurrected. The cowardly do not follow through with that. I'm amazed at the number of grown men who are little boys when it comes to baptism. I would tell you, if you've never been baptized after your salvation, you're living in sin and disobedience. And you need to make that right. I'm not saying you're not going to heaven, but it, the same premise applies. The cowardly are not going. 
Notice he says the unbelieving. John mentions unbelievers, which simply is another term for those who reject Jesus outright. Charles Templeton rejected Jesus outright. The Pharisees rejected Jesus outright. Jesus told the Pharisees, you read the scriptures in them, you think you have eternal life, but they point to me and you won't believe in me. Unbelieving. I'm I'm reminded of a person who's a well-known unbeliever who at one time claimed Jesus. He's a writer now. He's on TV a lot. I'm not going to give you his name. He often mocks Christianity, but he told a person that he debated with one time who was a Christian, he says, I want to be honest with you. He says, there are nights, more often than not now, that I wake up in the middle of the night in sweats, fearing the judgment of God because perhaps it might just be true. And that person he debated said, oh, it's true, and you have good reason to sweat. But he's unbelieving. He will not allow himself to believe. Then you see this word abomination? That means abhorrent, detestable, loathsome. It literally means loathsome ones. The passive participle indicates they become an abomination because they participated in activities which are considered abominable to God and they did not repent of them and will not repent of them. It's not that you do it one time. It's that it's your life and you don't care. You don't care that God says it's wrong. In the law of Moses, these include homosexual behavior, bestiality, incest, idol worship, child sacrifice, worshiping other gods, sorcery, witchcraft, soothsaying, interpreting omens. All these activities have a common attribute. They are abomination to God. The sexually immoral, which is all sexual activities outside marriage between a biological male and female, every one of them. Sorceries, people who prepare drugs to do witchcraft. Then liars. You know what this word liar means? Listen to this. Those who live lives of deceit and dishonesty. There are people who, who claim to be one thing, but in their heart they're not, and they know it. They are living a lie. Now notice verse 8, the second part on the screen. He says this. They shall, all liars, shall have their part, which means it's reserved, in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Those described by that list are the ones who continued in their activities Without repentance, even though they knew it was wrong, they said, I'd rather take my chances. Isn't that sad? Paul told the church at Galatia, he says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are, and he just names his list, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbirth of wrath, dissensions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, rivalries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in the past, those who practice such things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who choose those things over me will not. He says this, in the lake which burns with fire. If you study it in the Greek, that's a passive participle. It means the lake which is being presently burning with fire. The emphasis is placed upon the ongoing reality of fire. What is the answer for the outcasts? Without a doubt, it's the gospel. Now, I told you about Charles Templeton. And one of the things, if you see Charles Templeton's interview at the end of his life, he says, I really miss Jesus. And then he goes, away with that thought. Now let's hear Billy Graham's testimony at the end of his life. If Michael Field turned that up and turned it up really loud where we can hear it. I know I'm going to heaven. I'm looking forward to it with great anticipation because of what Jesus did on that cross. He died for us, but he was raised by God. I've found during the latter years of my life, when I've had sicknesses and been in the hospital and so forth, there's a peace that just resides there. 
and stays there that I cannot explain. We all die. I'm not going to escape it. I don't want to escape it. I want to go. The vast majority of my life has already been lived. My record has already been made. I don't have very much longer. I know that. Some of my closest friends and relatives, and especially my wife, are already in heaven. And because of the hope we have in Jesus, we can all be in heaven someday forever. A radical change must take place before you can get into heaven, before you can be accepted by God. You say, well, what do I have to do? You must repent of sin. You repent and you believe. Believe in Christ and you receive him in your heart and say, Lord Jesus, come in, and he'll come in. You don't have long. You'll be in eternity, and the decision you make tonight may decide where you'll be. And anybody can believe. A blind man can believe. A deaf man can believe. An old person can believe. A young person can believe. And that word believe means commit. I commit my life totally to him. Thank you very much. Billy Graham, at the end of his life, says, I have peace, and that peace resides on me. One of the last interviews he gave. Have you committed your life to Jesus? Have you committed your life to Jesus? You know, if somebody would have asked me, had I committed my life to Jesus before I got saved, I could eat very easily. I could have lied and said yes, but I knew in my heart, no. After the Lord saved me, there was no doubt. There was no doubt in my life about that. I knew that the God of the universe, the Holy Spirit of God, was dwelling inside of me because I committed my life to Him, not because there was anything special about me. Have you ever, have you ever surrendered your life to Jesus? We're going to give you an opportunity to do that today. You're either going to leave here an overcomer, or as of today, an outcast. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me, every head bowed and every eye closed. If you'll just, out of respect, just bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're here today and you've never in your life committed your life to Jesus, I would encourage you to do it now. You can come forward if you want to. Our staff will be here to help you with that process. Or, or you know that Jesus Christ died in your place. He rose from the dead. And simply just say, Jesus, today I commit my life to you. I ask you to forgive my sin. And Jesus, from this day forward, I will follow you. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Fathers, we come to you in prayer. Lord, I want to thank you so much for your word. Father, I want to thank you for the gospel. Lord, of all that sin list we mentioned, only Jesus can forgive, heal, cleanse, and deliver. Father, I'm not talking about people who mess up from time to time. I'm not talking about that. Lord, I'm talking about people who decide to live in that. Lord, you can deliver and you can forgive if we'll just repent. If we'll admit, confess our sin and confess our need for a Savior and place our faith and trust in you. And Father, I pray that that would happen all over this sanctuary this morning. From the balcony to, to, to where I'm at, Jesus, I pray that you'd save for your honor and for your glory. And we'll forever thank you and praise you for what you do. In Jesus' name I pray. As Sharon leads us in this song, this altar's open. We'd love to talk to you about your salvation this morning.
listen, if you're here today and you're questioning your salvation, or maybe you're not a Christian, we'd love to talk to you about that. My number is in the bulletin. You can reach me on almost any social media platform. I would love to talk to you this week about it. Do not, do not go through life doubting your salvation. Amen? There is a peace that only God can give. Billy Graham said this, even at his age, he said, I don't even understand it. That's just something only God can give. Only God can forgive, cleanse a guilty conscience, and I'd encourage you to give your life and, and, and faith to Him. Thank you so much for being here today. We have care tonight at 6 p.m. in the uh, fellowship hall. Students are going to be with us tonight. God bless you. Hope you have a great Sunday afternoon, and hope to see you back here tonight for care.